Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book diva, Bonnie Golden, and also featuring Megan Runyon, YA superfan, Keith Steigert, Uber Reader and Romance Junkie, Pat Greiner, she has the head of an English major and the heart of a sci-fi nerd. These people are passionate about books, maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls. Megan's still hot. Because I'm gorgeous and I went to the gym this morning. <laughs> so hot. No, Martha yeah. said I was hot on the thing and so I said, uh, yeah, because I go to the gym. So before we start, we should probably let people know that Martha's off today. She is in recovery. We're trying to get her to go sit down and she just won't. So I, don't, I think people know, but we didn't really say anything on the podcast particularly. But Martha had some, some boob surgery, to put it bluntly, I guess. So she's with an ice pack on her boobs right now, hanging out in and her it, living room. It's not because I punched her in the boob. Guys, I'm not quite that He's been threatening strong. to for years. <laughs> but yeah, so we, so Martha is on the on the couch with an ice pack on her boob, eating some cherry rhubarb pie that pie that we got from Pie Junkie. Yep, that so, was her happy oh. happy recovery pie. Yes, they make a cherry rhubarb too. They, well, I'm not the only one. Uh-uh. <laughs> or strawberry rhubarb. Yeah, it's strawberry Sorry, rhubarb. strawberry rhubarb. Oh. Sorry, but you were the inspiration, Pat, because we were like, we know Martha loves Pat's rhubarb. So what do they have that has rhubarb in it? Yeah, I tried to figure out some way to ship a pie and I could not think of a good way. Well, and I just I discovered that I like their birthday cake pie because we got like we got two mini pies and one was peanut butter and the other was the birthday cake. And that birthday cake pie might not make it out of this house tonight. So good. I don't even understand what goes into a birthday cake pie. It, um, yellow cake batter. It's almost like a custard or like a cream pie. Yeah. But just the, and it's got like sprinkles in it and it's got cake, it's cake batter flavored. So. Yeah. It was the bomb. Yes. Graham cracker. It's in a graham cracker crust. Yeah. Oh, Oh, that's a little better. I don't need to know that I like those pies though, because now I'm going to be a pie junkie like every week being like, can I get me a pie? (laughs) You just, you have four of your five book girls this week. Did you guys want to talk a little bit about the reader con and stuff like that that you've been at? Oh yeah. So reader con was awesome. It was awesome. But of course I think it's awesome because we were sitting right next to dogs yeah, which was good and bad. It was great because we got emotionally invested in the adoption of these dogs over the course of the day. The downside was Meatball was a barker. And so every time we were trying to interview an author, you would just hear this rah, 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 in the background. She just, he just wanted to be on, on tape, too. Yeah. He wanted to be part of it. The name of the rescue, just in case anyone wants to check them out, is Safe Haven Rescue. And they're a nonprofit. They do have a website, so look them up. All their adoptable dogs are on there. And I just wanted to let you know that Jack was very sad when he went home because his sister Jill got adopted and he did not. Yes. So, and and it was an hour, it was like an hour and a half, two hour process for Jill. Like this young man came in and Jill was real. They were dropped at Hefner Lake. 
and so they were she they were real scared of people and this kid just sat there until she finally like warmed up to him and all of a sudden we all turned around and jill was curled up in his lap and we're like if this boy does not take this dog home like there will be a fight and when he (laughs) he picked her up and took her out and everyone like applauded and cheered and like we were very invested Um, But we did meet a lot of really cool authors, some local Mm -hmm. authors. We're going to be working on getting those interviews. We did two, two, three minute interviews with a bunch of the authors that were there. I should have looked at some of them more closely right now. SL West was one we'd met. Amy Lee was one that I did. Yep. And then the young lady that's like 13 and has like three books and I feel like an underachiever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. um, We've tagged, I think. Yeah, she's 13. Yeah. Scarlett Hoffman. Uh, but what yeah, kind of stuff does she write? Uh, it's she does like fantasy. It's like or I guess I don't know if it's fantasy. Huh. It's fairies and journeys. Uh, and yeah, I'd say that's fantasy. Fantasy, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we met a lot of really great folks that will get their interviews up over the next couple months as we edit them and put them together. We'll put them up on our YouTube and probably our TikTok because they'll be short enough and you can see who we talk to. Talk to a lot of people. We did. It was like 15 or 16 <laughs> authors that we talked to, and it was awesome. So that was cool. And you'll see some of that. Well, yeah, we're working on a couple of things. So you just never know what's coming down the pike. Yeah. You never know what to expect for, from the for book people girls. people who are new to the podcast, you might want to tell them where it was. Oh, and- that's true. So ReaderCon was here in Oklahoma City, where Vonnie, Martha, and I are based. And I guess maybe we should, at some point, reintroduce ourselves as well. I'm Megan. <laughs> this is Megan's voice. Bonnie's over here. <laughs> this is Bonnie. Martha is banished because she stole my eyeglasses. Now I got to go get them back. Yes. And then, Pat, you want to say hi so people know your voice? Hey, this is Pat. Uh, and uh, my voice comes to you from Wyoming. Yes. And last but not least, we have... I'm Keith. I'm in Pennsylvania. There you go. Not that they won't hear us when we do our reviews, but, you know, I think we have a fair number of new followers. So maybe we have some new listeners who yeah. don't know whose voice belongs That would be to. awesome. I went for years watching my favorite, listening to my favorite murder uh, back when I listened to it and not knowing which one of the hosts was which. Like their faces didn't match their voice. And when I finally saw them, I was like, that's not who I thought that was. Yeah. I stay clueless all the time. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, we're here. And Reader Con was in Oklahoma City. Uh, And they do a writer con as well the few days before. It's like a whole weekend. So if you are an aspiring writer, I would suggest checking it out. They do all kinds of panels and cool stiff like that. So it was fun. We had a good time. Yeah, it was fun. Vani did not go home with another dog because I think Echo would have shanked her in her sleep. Mm-hmm. Packed her toys and said, fuck you. I saw her trying to chew a point on her bone earlier, so I thought, no, no more dogs. No. I was like, no, she would have packed her toys and come to Martha's. And then Martha would have been like, nah, wrong, uh-uh. wrong house. No. <laughs> you picked the wrong aunt. You poop too much. Go back home. <laughs> so, yeah. Just to tell you how long I was in the car today which is probably a good thing. I was only only 50% done with my book when I got in the car. Now I'm 99% done with my book. <laughs> That's the best part about running errands is, you, is like you can get through a lot of audiobooks. Yeah, I literally only have five <laughs> minutes left. So we'll take it as a win because I got to get a lot of book reading done while I was in the car running around. And you got your errands done. All done today, so tomorrow I don't have to leave the house. Pat, have you been macheting anything lately? 
Now I've been staining the cabin. The the wind tears the finish off every couple of years. Oh, so, so you have to restain mm, it. That was when I got a lot of my audiobook done this week was standing up on a tall ladder, restaining the side of the cabin. Now so. after you're done with that, you're going to start on the hamster wheel so you can make your way over to England. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that guy. That was- did anybody that ask? was funny yeah he built okay so we got him getting arrested for it it yeah. was on the news i saw it on the news before you sent the article oh wow and i was like really a guy made a floating hamster wheel for a person and he thought that he would make it all the way to england i mean it's a solid plan flights are expensive that's true yeah. and you know the airlines like keep canceling flights people keep getting stranded so he's like fuck this shit i'm making myself a hamster wheel he expected it to take him yeah i have questions like a how do you because i feel like a hamster wheel like it's gonna spin right so like how do you keep your food and stuff from just like flying around the hamster wheel when you're moving across the atlantic like what how do you maybe it had like a you know like when they you have a a wheel for your hamster to run on. It's on a oh, steel like it had thing. Oh, like a base, maybe like a floating like a base? base that doesn't maybe. move when the pedals oh. do. Like maybe. Does yeah, that like, make sense? Yeah, yeah. like the, the wheel instead of the ball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. See, I I was envisioning like the little ball, like that. You know, the people get in that you can roll down the oh, hills on. Oh yes. Like, but like a big one of those. <laughs> like one of those ha- yeah. the balls that you put the hamster in, and then you roll them yeah, across the yeah, that's <laughs> the living I, room. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like questions. Like, he didn't look like he got very it's far. Not a very well out thought out plan. No, unless you have like a. I guess you could have he like didn't stop him. He'd be in trouble. He'd be shark bait. Woo ha ha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of my thought, except for, you know, I didn't add in the woo ha ha at the end, but yeah. I can't, after I've watched Nemo too many times, I can't do the like shark bait woo ha ha. Like it's like, <laughs> it's, it's required. It's part of the sentence now. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I feel like there's a flawed plan there. Like he didn't really think it through. It was like drunken night where he was like, you know what would be cool? Go to hamster wheel across the Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many basalts do like you second cousin to that guy who tried to make his own hot air balloon by tying a bunch of small balloons to a lawn chair and yes oh my god why haven't we talked more about that guy i think that guy watched up too many times and thought that it was real and not a cartoon yeah basically it's like i could do that that could happen why not it could happen i mean i guess if you were gonna go from like the farthest tip of Alaska to like Russia, you might make it in a hamster wheel, because they're not that far, like distance wise. How far? Like, yeah, yeah, but that they ocean up there is Sarah so Palin's turbulent. House. I mean, what? <laughs> Sarah Palin can see it from her house. <laughs> I feel like that quote and like Al Gore invented the internet is never gonna die. <laughs> like those two quotes will like <laughs> live forever. But if you think like that'd be like, I mean, because even if you went from like Cuba to Florida, that's only ninety miles. Yeah, that's true. Now, yeah. that little strip, you probably could. Now, the Alaska to Russia, if you've watched any of those crabbing shows that I love so much, oh, yeah. those seas are so freaking rough. It's true. I don't know if he... He'd be he would Yeah, he would have hit a iceberg. <laughs> then he'd be crab food. <laughs> They'd probably be like, we can't get into his show. They'd be catching him on Deadliest Catch. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, uh, Captain, we have something really weird in our net. And we're not sure what to do with it. <laughs> There'd be some orca out there going, ooh, puff pastry. 
<laughs> or or they just start playing with them. Right. It'd be like a real life SeaWorld exhibit. Like the uh-huh. orcas would just be batting him back and forth. <laughs> now that wouldn't be a funny TikTok video. <laughs> I mean, the orcas are sinking ships, the yachts in places, so I'm sure they can figure out how to play with a hamster wheel with a human in it. I love that. <laughs> They'd be like, thanks for the enrichment in our natural environment. Kind of like a blow pop. How many licks does it take to get the center? Yes. <laughs> Sham, like Shamu and Willie might have looked friendly, but they will eat you. Right. <laughs> they are predators, guys. They have lots of teeth. And now Bruce says Fisher friends, but he never said that about people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, Vani, are there any man-eating predators in your book this week? Well, um, if you count like people as man-eating, <laughs> oh no, killers, not really predators. But before I start this review, I got to go get my glasses. Hold on. <laughs> Please pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's something our books never have. Yeah, cannibalism. Way. We need way more than that of that. I had that one cannibal book, that one in set in Russia, had that weird religious sect that was practicing cannibalism and hmm. one cannibalism. You know cannibalism, how many books castration and communism? Yeah. yeah. Well, wait, we I, I've never read cannibal. it. I need to find a Dahmer party book. I actually watched like oh, a whole yeah, nah. um, thing on. History Channel with Josh Gates, uh, mm-hmm. Expedition Unknown, where they talked about like in depth about the Dahmer party and like there's so much shit that like we don't even know about in that thing. Not just like the cannibalism part, but like all the different like parties that split off trying to like get it was crazy. I was like, I didn't know any of this shit. Hey, you know, you should we should all get tattoos because Jeffrey Dahmer says the tattoos taste bad. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true <laughs> quote or not, but people sure use it like it is. <laughs> I'm thinking better safe than sorry. I know, I don't have any tattoos. Me neither. Shit, Bonnie, we're toast, man. I uh, know. Jeffrey Dahmer comes back from the dead for some reason. If he's zombie, if he's a zombie Dahmer, we're screwed. It is kind of interesting to me that Dahmer and Donner are the two are most so well-known groups of, like, of cannibals, and they're almost identical names. Because for the longest time, I think, growing up, I yeah. thought it was the same thing. Like, Dahmer and Donner oh, were the really? same. Yeah. yeah. Because people in the South just, you know, it's all, it's all just Dahmer. Like they don't enunciate it. <laughs> Dahmer. 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 Like Dahmer and Dahmer. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So tell us about your man eating murder. My murder book. I can't believe you have a murder book. Well, no, no. It's not quite like that. Okay. It's a World War One book, guys. Okay. Okay. That all is right. But with there the is world. a lot of murder that goes on between Germany and. England and everyone. So the book that I read this week is called In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. And like I said, this is a World War One book. This takes place like in 1914. And it starts out, the war is already going on. And it starts out at a boys school with this group of friends. It kind of flashes back from when they were 13. So I'm thinking this might be like a prep school where they're 13 when they start does that sound right yeah that'd be about right i don't know a lot about that'd be boy like school freshman year 12 13 yeah. so yeah something yeah. like that and like i said the war is going on uh, a lot of them have older brothers so a lot of it is um them looking at the list of the dead and wounded to see if it's any of their relatives which is kind of sad and two characters that they 
kind of focus on Henry Gaunt and Sidney Elwood. They go by Gaunt and Elwood. They go by last names. I think that's pretty common. It is. With guys. Yeah. Culver boys, a lot of times, were just their last names. Well, shoot, Tyler was like that, too, with his friends at school. Yeah. And Gaunt and Sydney have a very intimate friendship. Like, their looks linger a little too long. Their touches linger. They touch a little more than boys of that time frame do. And they always felt like there was more, but of course in school they never took it further than a friendship. Gaunt is older than Elwood, so when Gaunt turns 18, he lies about his age, because at the time you had to be 19 to join the military and joins the military. And then the book kind of goes into letters between Gaunt and Elwood. And it's kind of, they're very different people. Like Gaunt is very like stoic and reserved and Elwood is more eccentric and outgoing He likes poetry. He writes poetry. He writes and reads poetry to Gaunt all the time. And Gaunt is so reserved that he doesn't really show his appreciation or affection to Elwood. So there's always that question in both of their minds, like, does this person like me more than I like him or so on and so forth? So it's very much about their relationship, this book is. Like I said, Gaunt signs up and joins to fight in the war while Elwood's still in school. And then Elwood, because he wants to be with Gaunt, he joins to fight. And they're actually together fighting the war for a while. And then they get, they're separated. I'm not going to go into how they're going to get separated because, you know, you just have to read the book. They're separated for about two years. And while they're separated, the only thing that really keeps Gaunt going is the fact that he wants to know if Elwood is okay. So the separation kind of makes Gaunt care even more about Elwood. But Elwood thinks when they finally reunite that Gaunt can't really care about him because he was gone. And why would he be gone with no word for so long? So on and so forth. And of course, one factor that really plays into the problems in their relationship is, of course, shell shock. PTSD, yes. and they didn't know how how much that affected your life back in World War One. It just wasn't a thing. They just thought, you know, you were shell shocked. You were. It felt like to me like shell shock always felt like, oh, it's something you get over, right? The way right. the way they would, talk and they about don't it. treat it. It really affects the rest of their lives, and you can really, it goes into detail, and you can see like how different. Elwood is especially because he was so outgoing and so eccentric and such everybody liked Elwood I mean he was just everyone's friend everyone loved Elwood and then just the change in him was immense after the war and it was a really good book I actually liked it more than I thought I would it's really hard for me to get into any book that has to do with like a prep school and a group of friends that go to prep school I don't know why but it, For some reason, it's always been hard for me to get into those books. But this one I did get into, and it was wonderful. It's very well written. Because it goes back and forth between letters in parts and face-to-face in parts, the writing style changes. It varies. The author did a really good job of transitioning between sections so that you weren't confused, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
So it was a good book. It was very well written. Now it's a World War One book, so there is violence, people losing limbs, people losing parts of their faces. So maybe don't eat red jello when you're reading this oh, book. Body. Body. <laughs> but I mean it was great. Anyone who likes war novels, I would say read it. It's wonderful. It really gives you an insight of what regular like boys in prep school who weren't old enough to join but couldn't wait to join for the cause. It kind of shows their side of the story. And then it shows their side of the story once they do join and it's not exactly what they think it is. It's a good book. And that again was called In Memoriam by Alice Wynn. All right, Keith, what do you have to bring the room up? Hopefully. Oh, After my death and destruction. <laughs> now I feel bad. No. Hey, it's called Balance. Uh, so, you have the dark and the light. Well, I mean, my book isn't especially light. Oh, Sorry. no. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll just keep it so here the in book. the land of depression for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, sorry. But is it sadder <laughs> than my book? Are we going further yeah. up or further down? I mean, there isn't like taking off of faces or anything. Is there so, any I mean, boiling babies? Back, no, I, no, and no yeeting of babies. So uh, the book I'm reviewing this week is called Lotus by Jennifer Hartman. And uh, Jennifer Hartman, I actually reviewed a book not that long ago by her. And it dealt with, uh, like, a terrible uh, psycho who kind of kidnaps people and terrorizes them in his basement. And in that book, they kind of reference um, when they're trying to, like, deal with their grief. They reference that somebody in the same town uh, was kidnapped for 21 years of their life and held in captivity. And that is what this book is about. That sounds like that case that I can't think of her name right now. That, I know what you're talking about, but I don't he was, know her name. It's not J.C. Dugard. It's the other one. Um, oh, wait. Maybe it is J.C. Dugard. Well, yes. But she was kid, like kidnapped from her bus stop, and then he was like in the backyard of the, yeah. the creepy guy. That was that was J.C. Dugard. Okay. Because I, I read her book. Okay. Yeah. I was like, that name sounded right, but then I was like, wait, there's, there were so many in that era. It sounds like that. Okay, I'm intrigued. Keep going, Keith. I'll shut up. (laughs) No, you're fine. So in this book, an eight-year-old, I believe he's eight when he's abducted. Um, He's abducted on 4th of July, and he has a best friend named Sydney, and they live next door to each other. And uh, Sydney is a little girl, and they are very, very close. And he literally just is gone without a trace. So the book opens with him, and he is just beside himself and he is in all of this hazmat gear and he's covered in blood and he's found kind of on the highway just looking for help because the the man who's been holding him captive in like a shelter like a basement kind of has died he died fall like he was climbing down this the ladder where this boy has lived his entire life pretty much And he fell and broke his neck and died. This man was in captivity for this long. And he had no idea that the world was still normal. 
because when he was kidnapped, he was told by this man that he was living in a fallout shelter because the world as we knew it had been gone, like some kind of nuclear event had wiped everyone out. And so he had to live underground. Anytime this, the older man would come to visit him, he would have hazmat gear on and he would come and he would bring him books or he would bring him food in the necessities that this boy needed to live. So until he's about 30, he has lived in this basement. The only education he's gotten is that he has read a phenomenal amount of books. He hasn't had TV or anything like that. He has had a VHS player. So he has a couple of movies like he's watched The Princess Bride about 82 times. And that's one of his favorites. I would say just but 82 so, times in 30 years. That's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to have so to watch a movie. out, what's that? I said, if you're going to have to watch a movie over and over, at least it's a good one. <laughs> so when he comes out looking for help for this man, he is really stricken to find out that everything is fine. Because, I mean, he's never tried to escape or anything as an adult because he really believed that ev everyone was gone. So he's lived his life pretty much thinking that his, his parents, everyone he's known has perished in this event. And it's really amazing to see life through his eyes because he, when he was abducted, there was no internet. Uh, there were no cell phones. He was eight. So... Now he's kind of thrust into a life and his mother has, has died. So when he gets out, the only family he really has is a stepbrother who lives in the house where he grew up and in the house next door still lives his best friend. And so they're all in uh, their early 30s now. And the police kind of just expect him to just go and move on. And a lot of people in his life just are like, OK, kid, here you go. Now, good luck, like get a job, be a functioning member of society. And it's really amazing to just kind of you see through his eyes just how weird everything is. He doesn't know anything about romance. He doesn't know. I mean, his best friend, Sydney, the girl that he left, her life has been turned upside down throughout all this. And she suffers in a different way because she immediately wants to be close to him and to be friends with him. And he people, I mean, he's been alone for 22 years. Yeah. So just his, his stepbrother wants to have a party when he comes back and he can't handle a party. He can't handle fireworks because when he was taken, it was the 4th of July and they trigger him loud noises. A lot of people talking. I mean, it's really interesting to just watch all the different triggers he has because he has grown up solitude, like not even the man who took him. I mean, he spent a few minutes with him every once in a while bringing him supplies, but he has been on it completely on his own. And Which so is so weird. Navigate, like, he took him and then just didn't do it. Like, very weird. And that is part of the story. Why on earth was he taken? You can't ask him because he has died. Right. And and I'm sorry, I'm like not giving them names. The boy's name is Oliver. And when Oliver escapes, he's just kind of running off and not thinking about telling police where he was. So, I mean, they don't even find the man or where he was held captive for a long time. 
because I mean, he can't even describe where he was. And so watching him try to acclimate to the world when he's missed so much. I mean, people in their 30s, like Sydney's talking about how much she loves Smash Mouth and all these different artists that she's listened to. He has no idea. I mean, he hasn't heard any of these people. He can't fathom concerts. I mean, when you're eight, you honestly don't have a huge idea of the world around you. And Sydney is kind of jealous because in her 22 years, she has, and I mean, it, and she feels bad that she's kind of jealous of him, but she has learned all sorts of things that have really jaded her life and have skewed her idea of the world. Like she's been let down a lot of times and he doesn't know anything about like parents being able to let you down or because I mean, as far as he knew, everybody just died all at once. So it's really fascinating. And, he, and he's so adorable because he's really, really smart. I mean, he's read about everything. I mean, he was given a lot of books and he and he has this amazing artistic ability and he drew comic books while he was held in captivity. And he remembers nothing about the abduction, which is so super sad in and of itself. Like, he doesn't remember his mother. Mm. He doesn't remember his stepfather. He doesn't remember Sydney, really. And so he has all of these psychological blocks and nobody really knows why. And he doesn't know why. And he has missed so much that he doesn't know if he wants to, like, remember his mom. Because what's the point? Right. Then he'll just miss her. Mm. And be sad because she's no longer with them. And it's just so fascinating watching him try to figure out life. And, like, you'll see him do something. Like, he, he, he never texts anybody. And people are always like, why don't you text? And he was like, oh, yeah, that electronic messaging. Oh, geez. I mean, because he just talks. Like, he doesn't know slang. He doesn't know what things are called by everyone. And so he has almost this childlike innocence of the world, even though he went through this horrible, horrible ordeal. It's just amazing. It's like the other book. I can't even imagine the mind of this author that she thinks of all these things that I'm like, oh, sheesh, yeah. I mean, if you've been underground for 22 years, you wouldn't know about this. You wouldn't, you're eight, you never would have learned about this. You would have, I mean, he's obviously like this, his stepbrother is like, dude, we got to get you a girl. You're like this 30 year old virgin. And he's like, okay, um, don't like not on my radar. Like, what do I get? He knows how things work. <laughs> I mean, but he doesn't know anything about having a relationship. And and his stepbrother is such like a man whore. <laughs> <laughs> he was making up for and lost brings time. Home girls every night and. Like, they'll be half naked having breakfast in the room, and he's just wandering in, like, in his boxer shorts, and his brother's like, hey, yo, bro, no, that's not cool. And he's like, oh, really? Okay. Um, why? Jeez. <laughs> like, he has no social cues and things. Like, right. he's missed all of that. Wow. And so watching him and Sydney, the girl next door, who were so incredibly close, try to figure out, like, a way to be friends again... And to get and she desperately wants that relationship back because he was the most important thing in her life for years. And when they found out he was gone, I mean, she has mourned him for 22 years. 
And when she finds out he, like, when they say, oh, we found Oliver, she fully expects that they found his body and she can, you know, have some closure. And honestly, this is almost the opposite of that. It's like unclosure because everything's different and she wants it all to be the same. So it's really, it's a really amazing look at, and I mean, this author does a phenomenal job of thinking of all these bizarre things that you would have to navigate in that situation. And of course, there are all these twists and turns because we don't know why he was taken. I mean, he was never sexually assaulted. He wasn't beaten. He was treated fairly well by this guy. I mean, this guy really just did the very bare minimum to keep him alive, but he didn't mistreat him in any way. And everybody's like, what on earth is that about? Why would someone do this? Why would you continue the charade even after he's an adult? I mean, what is the point of all this? And I mean, figuring out where all this came from and why all this happened is just so very bizarre. (laughs) But it was a fascinating book. I loved it. I loved all the twists. I mean, obviously, there is a romance because between him and Sydney. But I mean, it is the epitome of a slow burn because this guy just being around people for the first like couple of months of being out of this is excruciating to him. So, I mean, navigating some kind of relationship with anyone is almost a ridiculous concept. And then, and finding a job when you don't have any actual real life education or experience. I mean, all of those things. You know how to drive a car. He was eight. Right. I mean, teaching a 30 year old to drive a car is a fascinating notion. But yeah, I really love this book. And that again was Lotus by Jennifer Hartman. That sounds very good. Very un, maybe not un Keith, but like not what I would have thought you would have like picked up off the pile. It's definitely not a romantic comedy, which I generally review for this podcast, but it's more of like a darker romance, like a romance with some darker sub themes, which I enjoy a lot, but sometimes aren't entirely appropriate for a podcast. But this one really just skirts the line. There you go. (laughs) All righty. So am I up or is Pat up? I forget what the... Are you going to bring up the room? Is anyone? Uh, yeah, I can a little bit. I can bring us up a little bit. Okay. Because <laughs> mine will just make the room weird. <laughs> okay, we'll let Pat go last then. This week, I'm reviewing The Second Chance Hotel by Sierra Godfrey. And I just want to thank Caitlin from K Publicity because she sent me the arc of this. And it comes out on this coming Tuesday. So it's not quite out yet if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday. It'll be out on Tuesday. This book was so fun. It is not YA. I would say it is just fiction uh, because the main character is in her 30s and her name is Amelia. And Amelia has a boyfriend she works with and they are at like a tech company in California and there's this big like program launch or something that she has to check the code for. And she comes in in the morning figuring like all is well and come to find out that the program didn't launch. And she's like, what the hell? And then her ex comes in and says something highly suspicious like, well, you should have rechecked the code. And she's like, this little asshole went in and messed with the code so that it wouldn't launch. And that is exactly what he did. So she gets pissed off at him and throws a coffee mug in his head in the middle of a meeting. 
as one does. So she probably gets fired from HR for throwing a coffee mug at her ex-boyfriend's head. And really this whole, that whole tech company was like problematic. Like it was very like man centric and like the women kind of, she was like, he messed with my code and he gets to keep his job. Like I just threw a coffee mug at his head. So she gets pissed off and she's like, fine. So she packs up her office and she's like, see you later. And they were supposed to be going to like Europe. And the ex now ex-boyfriend and her were supposed to be going to Europe in a couple weeks. And she gets in the car and she calls her best friend, Ella, and is like, I'm going to Europe. I'm getting on the plane. I'm not even going home to pack shit. Like, if I don't go right now, I'm not going to go and I'm going to take the next stupid job that comes my way and I'm not doing it. And her friend's like, dude, my wedding is in like three weeks. Are you going to be back? (laughs) And she's like, I don't know. I've got to go. I just got to go. So obviously her best. And she's like the maid of honor. So her best oh, friend, she, yeah. So her best friend's like, "You bitch," as she like gets on the plane. So Amelia's just ran, like running around Europe for like three months. She goes all over the place, and she ends up. She goes to Greece, and she goes to the island of Astri, Asteri, whatever. I'm gonna call it Asteri. I don't know if that's right or not. And she goes to this island because her mom and dad had stayed there at some trip. And it was like this cute little hotel. And her mom like always just raved about it. And so she's like, fine, I'll go to this stupid island and stay in the stupid hotel. So you leave me alone. So she gets off the off the ferry and it's like a really little island. And she gets there and she's like, okay, yeah, like I'll be I'll be here for like two weeks. And the ferry driver's like, no, I'll see you in like three days. Like you're not stay you're not going to stay on this island for this long because you'll go crazy. Like there's this is not a tourist spot. Like you don't want to stay here. Good sign. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, no. And then she tries to rent a car, and the guy's like, no, you're not staying that long. You don't need to rent a car. Like you're not actually going to stay. Like the whole town is like, no. Like this is not a tourist hot spot. You're not going to stay here for the next two weeks. Whatever, sis. So she goes up to the hotel and is pretty much the only guest in this hotel, and it is described as a very like Greek. Like, all white, the blue roofs, on the cliff sides, like, how you picture Greece. Or how at least I picture Greece. I'm probably butchering some of these names. But Takis is the owner of the hotel. And he kind of is a mastermind of this story as it progresses. So Amelia gets is there, gets to her room. It's pretty basic. Probably hasn't been updated since, like, early 90s, late 80s. She's like, man, this place has seen better days, but here we are. Because her idea of going here kind of last was that she would take the next, like, two weeks and job hunt and, like, get ready to re-enter the world. And James is another guest who shows up. And Takis just keeps, like, putting them together. He's like, oh, you two should go walk around the olive groves. Or you two should go do this. And they're like, well, okay, we're, like, the only two tourists here. We might as well. James is obsessed with olive trees because his family used to own an olive tree orchard in Oregon or somewhere like that. So, like, he is obsessed with plants. So, like, going to the olive groves is, like, a thing. Like, it's his kind of his jam. One of Takis's nieces gets married. And at this point, there's, like, tons of sexual tension between Amelia and James. But they're both like, no, I can't acknowledge this. Like, I'm leaving, and this is just the end of my trip, and, you know, whatever. So, and then they finally, at the wedding, kind of give in a little bit and they're like oh let's just make out here real quick and maybe no one will notice uh they get caught (laughs) (laughs) to to say the least and so takis basically is on his deathbed and you kind of get the hint that like he's not doing well throughout the thing like he keeps coughing and like things like that 
So the night of his um, niece's wedding, he basically tells James and Amelia, like, I'm going to die tonight. And they're like, no, you're not, bro. Like, why would you say that? And he's like, promise me that you'll take the hotel. Like, I'm signing my inheritance of the hotel to you because my niece is a greedy bitch and she's just going to sell it for the money to some developer and they're going to ruin the hotel. And of course, they're like, yeah, 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 of course, of course, we'll take the hotel. Like, of course, absolutely. We will do that for you. And then sure enough, he dies. <laughs> and before he died, he actually even had like a lawyer come out and like do paperwork, right? So they are just like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. This can't be real. And so then the next morning, the lawyer shows back up and he's like, great, you own the hotel now. And they're like, say what? We were really drunk when this <laughs> happened. <laughs> we were at a Greek wedding. Like we were not, this is not okay. So then the kind of the rest of the story is them trying to decide, are they going to keep the hotel? Are they going to sell the hotel? Because his niece, so I don't know if this is, I, did, I meant to Google. I don't know if it's true. So that in, at least on this island, if you don't pay like this huge fee for your grave plot, like they will dig you up a couple of, like you rent your spot for like five years or 10 years or whatever. So, oh dear God. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true in Greece. Someone let me know. Um, but at the t- she made a part of the book. And I think they actually do that in some places because they're running out of space for dead people. Yeah. That was in that book. Uh, will my cat eat my eyeballs? Oh, see, we come full circle. Um, but basically, the niece is like blackmailing Amelia and James, being like, "Well, I need a hundred thousand dollars to bury Takis, or they're going to dig him up in five years and then just scatter his bones <laughs> across the island." And they're like, and it was, it just, they were like, on, they're like, we terrible. don't have a hundred thousand dollars, you insane Greek person that I don't even know. And why is this my problem? He's not my uncle." So there's like a whole lot of like back and forth on: Are they going to keep the hotel? Or are they not going to keep the hotel? Will they stay? Will they be a couple? Will they not? The whole town. Ta- oh, and the whole town thinks they're married, and they may or may not be. I'll let you to read the book and decide if they are or are not married. So the whole town is like, "You married now? You own the hotel?" And they're like, "But no, we like no." And they're like, "No, but you are." <laughs> so it's kind of fun watching the town come together, and the town helps them because they're like, "We don't have to keep this hotel." And then they look at the reservations and realize there's people booked for like the season, so they have to do something. And it's kind of a caper, just not really a caper, but a little bit of like what's happening to my life. Uh, like madcap, like yeah, craziness. It is. I did love, I wrote down like two quotes because I've got a new reading journal. So, you know, I write stuff down now. It's one of the ones, and I don't remember who said it, but I just wrote it down. says, you can't change the past, but you can be deliberate about the future. And I was like, that's, that's a good one. And I was like, that's kind of deep and kind of true. And then I chuckled because obviously this author is a Swifty because one of the quotes I wrote down is she said something about somebody being like, did they think this guy's like my lover? And she said, lover sung in Taylor Swift voice because her mind was a shady devil. <laughs> like, so the Taylor Swift song when she goes, lover, <laughs> like she was singing it in her head um, in the Taylor Swift lyrics. So I thought that was a good like little head nod to Taylor Swift, but I thoroughly enjoyed this book. I would say like four, four and a half stars, four and a quarter stars, somewhere in there. I'm not going to tell you what happens. You have to go read it to find out because the story, there's moments where you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Like, no, don't do the thing. Or like, oh my God, they did the thing. And now, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> but the thing, they did the thing. They did the thing, but then they undid the thing. And then I don't know. Like, there's so many things happening. <laughs> the town is the character in and of itself because 
everyone keeps telling him like no you're not staying in this town for two weeks are you insane you're gonna be a back and the ferry only comes like once a week <laughs> so like if you miss it like you're shit out of luck because uh, it's not as popular a tourist town as it once was so yeah i highly recommend it it was quite good and that was the second chance hotel by sierra godfrey and thank you caitlin for my copy that's cool that sounds hysterical keith you would really like this book i think <laughs> It's fun. I've already gone on my TBR now. Yeah! <laughs> if you didn't live so damn far away, I could just bring you my copy and you could borrow it. <laughs> All right, Pat, what kind of weirdness are we into today? Well, something that directly contradicts your quote, because your book said you can't change the past. My book is about time travel and changing the past. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> It's called Atomic Anna by Rachel Barenbaum. Atomic Anna starts out in the so well, when it was still part of the Soviet Union, at Chernobyl, where the lead scientist is Anna Burkova. And one night, as we all know, everything went to hell at Chernobyl, and Anna is waked from a sound sleep and thrown through a rip in time from 1986 when that happened to 1992 and she finds herself transported not only in time but in space she is on the side of a frozen mountain elsewhere in the soviet union in the middle of a storm and she manages to make her way to a facility at the top of this mountain and she recognizes it because it's a facility for the study of nuclear stuff that she and her then husband had designed. And as far as she knew, it had not been built, but here it is, it's been built and she gets inside and there's no one there except a woman who's like probably in her forties, who's been shot in the chest and is bleeding out. And this woman says, I'm your daughter, Manya you have to go back in time and save Raisa. And Anna says, who's Raisa? And she says, your granddaughter. So, yeah. Wait, Anna you have to go back. The, you have to just go back, back in, in time, time to save her. Okay. To save her granddaughter. I'm listening. And there is, if there's one thing, one reason maybe not to do this book as an audio book. I did it as an audio book and it's very well done. But there is a lot of jumping back and forth in time. And even though it is clearly identified with headings and say to tell you which character you're following and what timeline you're in, because part of this book is about if you go back in time and you change things, there may be, as every time travel book does, unintended consequences. <laughs> so there are lots of times where you go, you've been back in time, for example, to visit this one character. And then suddenly you go back in time again to visit the same character, but things are different because of these various consequences. To tell you what I can without giving away too many spoilers, you find out that as a young woman, Anya and, what's his name, Yushi? I think it was Yushi, the guy who built the atomic study facility for her in the mountain. Anna and Yushi had a daughter named Manya, and this was during or short, shortly before, or no, right after World War II. Anna's involved in World War II with the construction of nuclear weapons. She's one of the lead scientists who 
is helping the Soviet Union create nuclear weapons. She sends her daughter along with a friend of hers, with two friends of hers who are refuseniks, who are people who don't buy into the Soviet system. They manage to escape the Soviet Union. They move to Philadelphia and they take Anna's infant daughter, Manya, with them and raise her there. And her name becomes Molly, the Americanized version. Molly grows up in a, it's not an easy life. They are, they don't have a lot of money. They live in a fairly segregated section of Philadelphia known as Little Russia, where as they say, you don't even have to speak English till you get out of the borders because everybody speaks Russian there. Molly is in many ways unhappy and a lot of what she does, she channels into drawing and she becomes a comic book artist. Not a hugely successful one, not a well-known one, but through tales that her adopted mother has told her and through things she's heard, she creates a series called Atomic Anna that has, of course, something about her mother, although she doesn't know much about her mother. And there's three women in the comic series, Atomic Anna, Mighty Minerva, who is a stand-in for Molly, and Rocket Raisa. And Raisa, sure enough, down the road, is Molly's daughter, who is, like her grandmother, a natural mathematical prodigy. And so Anna has to travel through time and set things straight. First, they say you have to prevent Chernobyl from ever happening. You'll save thousands and thousands of lives if you can prevent Chernobyl from happening. Plus, you have to go back and save Raisa from, and Molly never says what she has to save Raisa from. So you get different timelines and you see what's happening in these different timelines. You get a lot of the question of what are the ethics of time travel and changing the past? What can you change? What should you change? I know a lot of people and on this this podcast, we've talked about Stephen King's 112363. That's it's the same kind of questions. Just because you may think that something's very clear cut and changing it is going to be good for the world, but maybe it's not. And so Anna has to wrestle with those questions and wrestle with questions about her own very dim past, about resentments and assumptions that she's made about her early life. So it becomes a fairly philosophical book, as well as a pretty darn good adventure story of her jumping through time, because there are consequences to time jumps in this world, too. She can only visit any one date two times. She can only stay there for a maximum of two hours each time, and then she's sucked back through. So if she wants to, say, contact her granddaughter on a particular day 20 years before, she has to figure out where this girl is likely to be and put herself in that position. And that's not easy to do when you're jumping into a different culture, a different time period. And as I said, figuring out what she can change, what she can't change and communicating the way that they end up communicating with each other through the decades is these comic books that Molly draws. So sometimes Raisa will find a comic book that's, just a one of a kind that only exists for her. And it's basically her grandmother saying, I need your skills to help me figure out the answer to this technical question so that we can control these time jumps more accurately. It was just a fascinating book. 
intricately plotted and very well plotted, no holes. The characters were interesting. The time periods, the, everything from the, the days of the Russian Revolution to World War II to Chernobyl and contemporary time. It was a fascinating and really, really intriguing book. That is Atomic Anna by Rachel Berenbaum. Wow. That, that, sounds, that sounds quite good, actually. It yeah. was. Some wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimeyness, but sounds... <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, I want some more pie, guys. <laughs> I need more water. Well, that too, but... Maybe uh, some caffeine. Oof, oh. I'm kind of sleepy. Well, it is like in a sauna in this room. It is. It's, oh, it's always so hot in here. Yeah, you know how people do, like, hot yoga? No, we do hot podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel myself burning calories right now. Yeah. Enough to eat another piece of <laughs> pie. Another, yeah, see? We have to hot podcast so we can eat pie junkie. <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, pie junkie, if you ever want to, you know, collab with us, just let us know. Because, <laughs> hi. We, <laughs> hi, we like your pie. <laughs> so if hi. we changed our name to a pie cast, do you think they'd sponsor us? <laughs> provide free pie for every broadcast session? Oh, my God. Do you know how much weight we would gain if we had free pie? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, we would have to do the, go to the gym more than once. We'd have to treadmill from the pod, from or podcast from the treadmill. <laughs> We'd have to be like, okay, quick switch. <laughs> I, they have the treadmill desk. Sit here watching. No, we'd make we'd send you some. We'd find a way to get you some pie. You would <laughs> yeah. just hear like in the background the thump, 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 thump of the treadmill, like a bar right. on the treadmill. <laughs> They'd be like, what is that noise? Well, see, pie pie junkie gave us free pie oh. for life, so. <laughs> Our lifespan is now much shorter because we ate all the pie. Our podcast would sound like a little, uh, it would sound very inappropriate, not just a little inappropriate, because it would all sound like... <laughs> We'd be chewing into our mic. Like... We were making obscene phone calls from the podcast. We'd be chewing and breathing loud. <laughs> <laughs> reading the mac and cheese for pie right <laughs> oh my god and I think that's gonna do it a long time since pie. we made a mac and cheese reference <laughs> and I think that's gonna do it for three, three book, book girls. girls can't get enough of three book girls check them out on Facebook Twitter and Instagram follow them on TikTok YouTube and check out their website at threebookgirls.com and join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.